the saints of Jesus. Let's bow our heads and pray as we go into this right now. Father, we want to thank you. Thank you for your word. Your word never returns to you void. Your word will always accomplish the purpose for which you have sent it. And I want to thank you, Lord God, that your spirit is with us this morning to speak to our hearts and to instruct us in righteousness. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The sins of Jesus. Jesus has a lot of things that he came from heaven to share with us. And at this stage he said, the things that I want to share with you, I can't really tell you now because there's so many things I want to say to you, but you can't handle them right now. But we are living in the days where we can truly handle what Jesus is promised to share with us. And we can handle them now. And we have the Spirit of God, the Holy Ghost, living inside of us. And we are able to do according to His Word, the Word that God has given to us. So we talk about the sayings of Christ, which I believe from the Word of God, that the sayings are really revelation for us. If you receive the revelation, what you receive is the Spirit of the Word and the life of the Word. And then you are able to walk with the Word for your blessing. That's the way Jesus has put it. That which is of the flesh is the flesh. That which is of the Spirit is the Spirit. And what we're receiving is the Word, this word of the Spirit of God so that we, our lives can be transformed and changed. Well, when Jesus gave his sayings, he promised us. He said, if you do my sayings, not commandments, my sayings. If you do my sayings, I will liken you to a wise man. I mean, we want, to, want God to liken them to a wise person. I like to be a wise person before God. But to be wise before God is not to do things that men will consider things of wisdom, but it's things that God really considers wise. And if you do those things... Jesus said, I will consider you a wise man that's planted his house, your life, on the rock. And your life cannot be shaken. Yes, you'll have difficulties come against your life. You'll have troubles come against you to try to push you down. And that's what we go through in life. All kinds of things will come at us in life. That's, that's guaranteed. Different problems from one issue to another. It's physical, it's financial, it's relationship, whatever it is. All of these things coming against our lives, addictions, whatever it is. Coming against and the purpose of that is just to put you down, to throw you down, to knock you down. And to take you out of the will of God. But Jesus said, if you are careful to do my sayings, I will liken you to a real smart guy that's careful to build his house on the rock. So that regardless of what the enemy throws at you, regardless of what the world throws at you, when it's all over, you still be standing. Standing tall. So we've been talking about that, and we want to go into the seventh one, and I, I put that, you know, subtitle, Never Seek Revenge. The second service, uh, last Sunday I went through this, but first service I couldn't. Never Seek Revenge. And this is the way Jesus put it in Matthew chapter 5, verse 38 through 41, he, uh, through 42. He says, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a, to a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. 
But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks of you, and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. You know, uh, there are some of these sayings here that are very, I mean, unbelievers are very knowledgeable of. They know of these things. They know what it means uh, to turn your, the other cheek. You hear them saying it, just turn the other cheek. They've never been in church, but they heard the word. So they say those things. Uh, they, go, we, go the second mile. They know these things, even though they've not been in church. But there, there are uh, misunderstandings about these things that Jesus had to say. Uh, read, for example, it says, Do not resist an evil person. You have heard that it was said, An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. Now, when these words were spoken... Human beings, uh, the Jews were taking the laws into their hands and they were fulfilling the law. Now, God does, is not saying that if you do something wrong, you shouldn't be punished. If you are a Christian judge, you can't be sitting in, be, behind, you know, judging the people and somebody has committed murder and is found guilty and you say, well, you're free. You can't do that. The law, the government can t- handle some of this, but it's not for you as a, an individual to do that. And so Jesus was saying, it's not an eye for an eye. I tell you the truth, do not resist an evil person. The word here is not saying that you should just lay back and let people walk all over you. Do not resist an uh, an evil person. He's saying, do not retaliate. That's what Jesus is saying. Do not resist an evil person. Turn the other cheek. I heard a, a, I read a cartoon in Nigeria long ago of this uh, uh, fellow, a preacher actually. He was out there preaching the message and preaching the gospel. And then this young man, uh, you know, he had been thinking, wow. So Jesus said, uh, if, if you slap a Christian, uh, the Christian should touch, uh, turn the other cheek. And uh, he thought about it. Mine, he had, he was looking for an opportunity to actually uh, let that happen in the natural. And so he saw this preacher preaching the word of God at the side of the street, and he said, "Wow, this is my opportunity. I'll slap him and see what he does, to see if he will do exactly what what the Bible says." So he went straight to the preacher, and he gave him a good one. And then the preacher turned the other cheek. And he let him have it again. And the next thing, the preacher punched punched him out. (laughs) He was on his back. So he stood up and said, hey, I thought the Bible says you should turn the other cheek. And the preacher said, yes, the Bible says turn the other cheek. But he didn't say what happens after that. I turned the other cheek. But now this, you got what happened after that. Now... (laughs) Turning the other cheek is not, the real, what Jesus meant is not slapping or using the hand. And think about this. If you're going to slap uh, somebody on the right cheek, would you be re- using your right hand? 
If you use your right hand to slap the person, what would you be doing? Slapping the person on their left cheek, right? Most people are right-handed. Some are left-handed and they claim that they are the smarter ones. But uh, most people use their right hand. Now, if you want to slap somebody on the right cheek, what you do is you use the back of your hand, right? And that's what Jesus was talking about. Now, in his time, to slap somebody with the palm of your hand, it's an insult. Slap somebody with the back of your hand, that's even a greater insult. And so Jesus was talking about insult, not physical hurting of another human being. In other words, he's saying, do not return insult for insult. So if you're insulted, you don't have to, you know, insult them. Just let them have their way. And that's what Jesus was saying. Going the second mile. In his time, what was happening among the Jews was the, Ro- the Jews were under the Romans. And there was a law in the land. If a, if a Roman soldier decides he wants you to carry his backpack, he says, you Jew, pick my backpack. And pick my weapons. And you're going to go with him one mile. The law only required that you go just one mile. After that one mile, you don't have to go the second mile. You let him have. He's going to call some other person to do that. That was how they practiced it in their day. And so this young rabbi, Jesus, was telling them, if he, they compel you, somebody compels you to go one mile, Go the second mile. In other words, do more than is required. Do more than is required. I read a story some time ago. I don't know if it's true, but they said it happened during the time of Jesus. And this young man, and, and you know, the Jews really despised the Romans and wanted, wanted nothing to do with them. But when a Roman soldier says, hey, you Jew, take my stuff. If you said no, you die. I mean, that's real trouble. So they do it. They know they, they have to do it. And they go that one mile, you know, just one mile. And they hit every step of the, every step that they take on that way uh, through that one mile. This young man had heard, according to this story, heard Jesus preach on going the second to him. And it didn't make any sense. How a Roman soldier stuff for another? I smile. I can do that. that. Doesn't make sense. Why is he telling us to do this? Now, what happened? Uh, he got called by a Roman soldier. I want you to take my stuff for the first mile. And the, the story said the first mile was really silent. He was doing his job, and the Roman soldiers knew he hated what he was doing, but he had to do his job. So they went the first mile. All through that first mile, the guy was thinking about this, the worst that he's heard. Go the second mile. Go the second mile. And it makes sense to him. But after the first mile, he decided, well, let me try the rabbi's word. So they got through the first mile and he said, the Roman soldier says, okay, that's it. Let me take. So he said, no, I'll go the second mile. The soldier was shocked. No Jew has ever done that before. He said, why do you want to do that? Don't worry about it. I'll do this for you. I'll take it to the second mile. And according to the story, during that second mile, they talked. Where are you from? Who is your daddy? Why are you different from the rest of them? 
I'm sure they became friends. And you know, that Roman soldier is made a friend among the Jews. That's what happens when we go the second mile. Jesus said for us to go at the second mile. Another thing I want to discuss this morning is to give to him who asks you. We need some wisdom about this. Jesus said, and whoever uh, give to him who asks you, and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. And I, I for, as a new Christian, I read this. This was a real problem. Because uh, there are people that will borrow from you. And after that, it's like the transaction didn't take place. How many have been there? They don't talk to you anymore. In fact, you have given to, to, to buy an enemy because they, they just don't want to talk, deal with that issue anymore. They go to some other person. And so there's usually a problem in the church. But what was Jesus talking about? Is he saying that we shouldn't use our minds, we shouldn't think through, things through? That's not what he's saying. He wants us to be responsible and yet be generous. Be responsible and yet be generous. If it's so that, you know, you can never deny one who wants to borrow from you. What if, if you are uh, a Christian and you are the manager of a bank? And people want loan, right? They want to borrow from you. You know their credit is no good. They have a history of not paying their bills. Are you going to give them the money for the, of the bank to them because you're a Christian? Don't turn. That's not what he's talking about. We have to be responsible. I heard a preacher who was really mad about this, preaching in his very large congregation, talking about this issue. He said, yes, we should be generous. When you are aware that there is a need, when you are aware that someone is not taking advantage of the body of Christ or taking advantage of you because they know you have and they can get it from you just to meet their needs. And so you are target Constantly they are coming at you because they know they can get the money and you can say no. And he said to, to the congregation, we got a last congregation and some of our individuals are pretty wealthy. Now a guy comes in on Sunday morning and I'm sure that there was a problem going on in the church in that regard. The guy comes in on Sunday morning he goes to this rich brother. He said, brother, I haven't eaten for the past week. The brother said, really? Really? You haven't eaten? I don't have anything. My kids haven't eaten anything. We've just, we just been, you know, drinking uh, juice or something. And the brother is hot. He's touched because he's a believer. He says, mine. Okay, uh, I'll help you. Gets out his wallet, gives him $300 about. And then he turns around. On the other end of the sanctuary, he sees that rich brother. He goes to that rich brother, brother, I haven't eaten. And the brother has you know, became compassionate and decided, okay, I'll give you uh, $200. And he collects from one brother to another brother, to one, from one sister to another sister. And when the service is over, he's made $2,500, right? That's a good offering, amen. And the preacher asks, why should it work? When he can get his bro from his brothers on, uh, for, uh, in the church on Sunday morning. That's a lot of money. So Jesus is not just saying we should just give to everybody. You, you make sure that this is, this is going to meet the need. There is really a need here. You are not being taken advantage of. You are giving to help a brother. 
And in that situation, you give. Even if you've given before and they can't pay back, but you know the situation is difficult, they're not taking advantage of it, you still give. It's funny. You know, you see people standing by this... uh, by the road, and they, they're looking for money. You know, he gave it to me. He said, well, I have something over here. Uh, uh, can you come finish this work, and I'll pay you? Guess what they tell you? Well, I don't want to do that. <laughs> they want free money. But the Bible says we must work, you know, to earn a living. Psalm 37, verse 21 says, The wicked borrows and does not repay, but the righteous shows mercy and gives so that's number seven one of the things jesus said we must do so that we can be planted on the rock and i want to go to number eight this morning and i put subtitled that love everybody love everybody In Matthew chapter 5, verse 43 through 45, Jesus said this, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, that's again he's saying, but I say to you, that's what you've heard. But now I'm saying to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, Do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. That you may be sons of your father in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good. And sends rain on the just and the unjust. The reason why Jesus is saying for you to go away from what you have heard. But to do what he's saying to you is for you to show yourself as a child of your heavenly father. You have your father's eyes. You are behaving just like your father. When you love your enemy, that's what Jesus has done. He loved his his enemies and he gave his life, his life for his enemies. And so when you love your enemy, you are just like your father. You love your enemy. Your father allows his son to rise on the enemy. He gives them life. And he prospers them. He blesses them. He gives them rain. And so God says, even though you have enemies, if you want to be just like your heavenly father, if you want to want people to see that you have your father's DNA, your fa- you have your father's eyes, what you need to do is just act like your father. Love both your neighbor and love your enemies as well. That's the way to be like your father. In other words, all of them, your neighbor and your enemy, they're all your neighbor. You love them a lot, the same. Now, notice something. I'm going to go into this uh, word here. Notice what it says. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor. Is that not what Jesus told us? The second commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. So there's nothing wrong with the first part of this, of what they were told. Now, it's the second part that was wrong. Now, what you need to understand is the first part was for the spirit man. 
The second part is of the flesh. The flesh is never satisfied until there's revenge. It is okay to hate for the flesh. If you are of the flesh, it's okay. It's okay for you to hate. That's not normal for the flesh. You have to satisfy the flesh. And that's why they put that law in there. That part, they added that part to it. It's okay for you to hate your enemy. So there was nothing wrong with the first part. It was the second part that was wrong. And what God is saying in, his, in essence is turn your enemy into your neighbor. Turn your enemy into your neighbor. In uh, the book of Luke chapter 10, beginning from verse 25, the Bible tells us of a story. Uh, Jesus, I believe he was speaking in a certain place and the lawyer stood up to, to test him, they said. He stood up to test Jesus and he asked Jesus, he said, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And, and, you know, Jesus knew where he was going with it. Jesus knew it was a test, but it was a legitimate question. So he answered the question. He told the fellow, he said, uh, what does the law say? How do you understand? What's your understanding of the law? And the fellow spoke out, I mean, he summed the words of the law. He said, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart. He said, you must love the Lord your God. With all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And your neighbor as yourself. So he answered correctly. And Jesus said to him, Did you answer correctly? Do what you said and you, you have life. But then the Bible went further and said, He's willing to justify himself. He to Jesus. But that was the whole point. If I am to love everybody, who is my neighbor? You tell me who is my neighbor. It's like a test. Let's debate. <laughs> That was what he came for. We're going to debate this. So he asked Jesus. He knew where he was going. He knew the right answers. He was smart. So he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? You tell me. Who is my neighbor? And Jesus gave him the story of the good Samaritan. Amen? He gave him the story of the good Samaritan. He told the story of a, a, a Jew who got, into, uh, who got into troubles with thieves and was seriously beaten and left almost dead. And then a preacher came along, that's the priest, also a Jew. And he saw him wounded, and he went away from him, just pretending in his heart he didn't see what happened. He didn't see the fellow. And then an evangelist came by, that's a Levite. He went around, he saw him, and he took the other direction. He went another way and left him there. He also was a Jew. And Jesus said, a Samaritan came by, now, we call the guy a good Samaritan because of what he did. But he was just a Samaritan. Jesus didn't say good Samaritan. It was a Samaritan that came along and he saw him and took care of him. He had compassion on him. He never saw a different kind of person, a Samaritan. He saw a human being. He had compassion on this fellow. He took care of him and then took him, put him on his, uh, his donkey and took him to an inn and paid for it. Because he was a human being. Now, the Samaritans were truly despised by Jews. And you can read from the scripture, the, the greatest insult you can receive as a Jew in their time was to be called a Samaritan. You remember that? 
they said say to Jesus, are, you, are, are we not saying it right? Saying it right if when we say you are possessed and you are a Samaritan? And Jesus says, I'm not possessed. He doesn't address the Samaritan part of it. But they despised the uh, Samaritans and the Samaritans knew, knew about it. Now, it's just natural for humans when you know somebody hits you, you hit them back. That's of the flesh. You just hit them back. And this Samaritan had a right to hate the Jews because the Jews considered them dogs. But he wouldn't do that. When he saw that this fellow was wounded, he saw a human being, not a Jew. He saw a human being, not his enemy. He treated him well and took care of him, paid for his bills. And so he asked the Jew, that's a good question, the, the lawyer. He says, who among these three? One a Samaritan, the other one a priest, one of your leaders, the one that takes you to the Lord God, your God, a Jew, and then the other one a Levite. Which of these three is this man's, the Jewish man's neighbor? <laughs> he had to admit the one, the Samaritan, was his neighbor. So what he's saying is, you take care of everyone and you love him. In that way, he made that Jew his friend, his neighbor. Love is of God. Hate is of the devil. Hate leads to death. Love gives life. Satan is a murderer. When you build your camp with hate, you have built your camp with the devil. God is love and the devil is hate. If you choose to hate, you have chosen to to stay in the camp of the enemy. If you choose to love, you have chosen to be with God. Love is light. Hate is darkness. Let me let you know this. Anyone can hate. It's no big deal to hate. It's just normal to hate. It's easy to hate. But it takes one who is of the Spirit, who has the Spirit of God, to love their enemy. Many believers have chosen to stay with hate and to continue to hate. The hatred has become their baby. Some of them are even not willing to let go of hate. It's part of their lives. And what that is, if you as a Christian goes around with hate for any individual, there's hatred in your heart for any individual, true hatred, what that says is you are still immature as a believer. You're still immature as a Christian. And you have something that will eventually destroy your life. The spiritually mature individual knows this. That our fight is not with flesh and blood. Our fight is against the, the enemy. 
In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, it says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. That's where our fight is. You have to understand, even though they consider themselves your enemies, they are re- the real person behind it is not the person, it's what's behind the enemy that's doing the work. And only the spiritually mature person can see that and decide, even though they've wronged me so badly, it was the enemy that was at work behind them, I can hit them, but I do hate the enemy that's behind it. And so you can treat them well, even though they've done you wrong. So this morning, I want to discuss how to get rid of your enemy. So a brother says, to get rid of my enemies, please give me a pad. I need to write this down. Once, as a Christian, this I'm talking to you right now. Like I'm talking to you as an individual. Once, as a Christian... You've discovered that you have a real or perceived enemy. You no longer have one enemy, you have enemies. Once you have a real or perceived enemy, you have enemies. And the number one enemy is you. Because no one can destroy your life more than you can. No one can spoil everything for your life more than you can. Most people have destroyed their own lives. They made the choice to destroy their, their own lives. They made the choice to use drugs. They made the choice to do, to not to go do something that they were supposed to do. It was your choices that kept you where you are today. So no one can really hurt you more than you can hurt yourself. So once you have a perceived or a real enemy, the number one enemy in that situation is you. And you need to get rid of the number one enemy, otherwise you're going to be in real trouble. So if you want to deal with your enemies or want to get rid of your enemies, you want to render your enemies powerless in your life, the first thing to do is deal with you. Make sure you are following what Jesus prescribed in the scriptures and how to handle your enemy. So that they become, or so that you render them totally, including the devil that's behind them, you totally render them powerless over your life. There is nothing they can do to you. Because when you do what Jesus said, then he will prepare a table before you in the presence of your enemies. So the number one enemy then is you. So how... Do you render your enemies powerless in your life? The first thing Jesus told us is, love your enemies. Love your enemies. He didn't say, go eat with your enemies, okay? He says, love your enemies. He didn't say, go play basketball with your enemies. Just love your enemies. In other words, don't hit them in return. Love your enemies. 
You know, the Bible is, is very clear. God sometimes, we need to understand this. Sometimes situations happen, bad situations, and God, the enemy is using individuals. But what's really happening is God putting you to a, through a trial to see what you will do. He's not them. He's you. He allows the situation, and sometimes people who are really close to you, to see what, how you are going to handle it. If you will follow through with his word, or you turn around and do what was evil. It's a trial. That's why James chapter 1 says, count it all joy. When you fall into diverse trials, not temptations. Temptations, that's from the enemy. Count it all joy when you fall into diverse trials. God can use situations, even situations where people really hate you, as a test to see what you will do. If you will break down and hit them back, become bitter and destroy your own life. It's a trial. And the way to understand that is the trial, after the trial, there is a reward. When the trial is over, there is a reward. In some cases, you gain those enemies back as your very best friend. And they'll trust you through life. Because you've been through the trial and you didn't hit them back. Amen? It's sometimes a trial. There is a reward in it. Count your enemies, those that have considered themselves your enemy. In fact, a Christian should not have any enemies. Amen? But in life... People do things and act in the way and behave towards you that makes you know they have decided they want to be your enemy. You can't help that. But you as a Christian should have no enemies. I don't have enemies. I love all of them. I'm a lover. Jesus lives in me. The lover lives in me. So all of them are my, are my neighbors. I love them. I may not be able to eat with them because they wouldn't allow that, okay? <laughs> They may not ask me to come with them, but, but I know they love I, I have to, I'll deal with them as lovers. I can be in their presence and I don't feel anything. Amen? You can love them. Because really, they are bringing something good to you if you handle it properly. That's why I said, you are the number one enemy, depending on what you do. If you handle it right, you get a reward. This is what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 46. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? You have no reward when you love those who love you. There is a reward when you love those who don't love you. Notice Jesus said, if you love those who love you, there's no reward. You got no reward. But God is the one that delivers reward. When you love those who don't love you, your enemies, there is a reward. God will reward you. When the trial is over, God will reward you. But you may not always be able to be around them. But you still love them. Amen. And God sees it. Nothing is hidden from his eyes. You know what they're doing, but you still care about them. You love them. You know who, you're not bitter inside. When it's necessary, you do them good. God sees that. He says, that's my son. Amen. That's why you're showing yourself to be like your father in heaven. Amen. That's my, that's my daughter. That's my daughter. Go. You see how we boasted about Job? Hey, devil, have you seen Job in the earth? There's no one like him. I'm telling you, devil, there's no one like him on the earth. Wouldn't you want the father to brag he's just like me, just like my his father? That's what he's saying here. There is a reward. You become you, you're like your father in heaven, and these things come to you. 
That doesn't mean you can't use, you don't, you throw your brain away. You still use your mind and do what is right. You don't let them take advantage of you like we said. But you do what is right. You don't hate them. You love them. Amen. The second part is, is, it says, second thing to do. got four things that you can do to get rid of your enemies. So they will be powerless over your life. Amen. You can love them. They are not your enemies. You have gotten rid of all of your enemies. Amen. They still consider themselves your enemy. But you 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 have eliminated all of them. You have none. Amen. You got rid of all of them. Even though they still consider themselves your enemy. You love them. Amen. And so the first thing is to love them. The second thing is to bless those who curse you. When they consider themselves enemies, they say bad things, they curse you. You know, words are so powerful. Curse means to say harmful things about a person to bring harm to them. Amen? Curse is a harmful thing spoken over somebody. And these things are so powerful. They will actually happen because you're speaking them, okay? But the trouble is, if you as a Christian... You are bitter also. You hate them in return. Guess what? You are vulnerable to whatever they're saying. You're vulnerable because you are in the same camp. You built your camp with the devil, right? All of you are in the same camp. So whatever they say against your life, whatever curse they put on your life, you're vulnerable to that. But the Bible says, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. No. No matter what they say. There is no curse that's causeless so no matter what they say no matter what they put on you no weapon formed against you shall prosper every tongue that rises up against you in judgment whatever curse they want to place on you that's not going to work but if you hate in return then you have opened yourself up those things are coming your way this thing is a killer compromise your immune system you can't sleep at night. You're thirsting, wondering what to do that will really hurt them. What would you achieve? But Jesus is saying, bless those who curse you. Bless them. To bless means to pronounce some, something good upon their life. To pronounce a, God, a blessing, something good to come upon them. And as you do that, God would do that for them. You remember what Jesus said? And you're really blessing yourself. He said, he said, when you go out preaching the gospel, and you knock on doors, if, and you want to go in to preach to them, if, they, if it's a man of peace in there, well, he said, first said to, the, to them, peace be unto this house. You remember that? Peace be unto this house. And he says, if there's a man of peace in there, the peace will remain upon that house. But if there's no man of peace, your peace will what? Return to you. Amen. That's a lot of power. So as you bless them, because they have placed themselves in a place where they can receive the blessing, guess where the blessing goes? Comes right back to you. you so you're really planting yourself. You see, you're planting yourself on the rock for prosperity. As you keep blessing them. They're speaking bad, but it's going back to them. Now, if your blessing will return to you, what's going to happen with their curses? They are already in the devil's camp. They're cursing themselves. It's not going to affect you. It's going to affect them. You know, I don't know if I can go into this this morning. uh, But I will close with this. There are some in the body of Christ. 
that have taken this cursing and blessing into another level. And uh, they actually curse their enemies. I was in a store in the southwest area a few days ago, maybe a few weeks ago, and I, there was this open place. The Christian person praying. And uh, it was a good thing to hear a Christian person praying in there. I mean, the whole store. It was a grocery sh- store, you know, real large grocery store. And they, they, they were calling the name of Jesus, but they were cursing their enemies and telling the enemies, fall down and die. They said, all my enemies fall down and die. And I was in the store trying to buy grocery, and I keep hearing, I mean, it was fervent prayer. Fervent prayer. Fall down and die. Fall down and die. All my enemies, fall down and die. And I said, "Uh, lady, could you take my money real fast because I got to get out of this place. I really need to get out of this place fast. I think I could have spent the whole day preaching to this lady, you know, who who was praying. You know, I can't really go into this. I'll next Sunday. I will go more into this. Okay, this is so important. We don't have time. Um, oh God, have mercy on us. God, really have mercy on us. You see, sometimes we believe the right thing and we twist it for our own good. We think for our own good, but for our own destruction. You know, I heard this story, I believe Pastor Andy told me, of a pastor who had an enemy or perceived enemy, real or perceived enemy. And you know what they prayed? God, don't ever allow him to make a decision for Christ on this earth. Can you believe that? He actually prayed to God that God would not grant this man salvation on this earth. Never allow him to get to the place where he understands the gospel enough to ever receive you. He prayed that. And guess what happened? That fellow died not knowing Christ. (sighs) That's what people are practicing there. They've totally overlooked the word of God. And they're doing their own thing in the name of Christ. We are not doing that here in the Ark Fellowship. Amen? That fellow died. But guess what happened to the preacher? He lost his wife. He lost a whole lot of stuff. In divorce, of course. And eventually died of a heart attack, too. I would like to see how he's going to stand before God on the Day of Judgment. Words are very powerful. That man didn't know Christ. He'll think, the deceit there is, he'll think, well, God heard my prayer and killed him before he got to know God. Well, yeah. But God's going to require his blood from his hand. That's what he says in, in Ezekiel chapter 33. Uh, chapter 3. God is going to require his blood from that fellow's hand. You, we are told to bless and not to curse. Please stand up with me this morning. I can't.